Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. I believe in honesty. And uh, because of that, I'm going to tell you, I've had the, the roughest three or four days trying to figure out what God wanted me to say, do this morning. You know, normally I've, you know, I've been not, I've been doing this a few years, you know, and uh, I know I, I get into a certain flow, a certain whatever as I read here in the morning, then I'll read a little bit later and I'll pray some more and this, that, and the other, but I, I got, I got to tell you, yesterday it was like somebody, I, you know, I felt like, I mean, I just didn't feel anything, you know what I mean, absolutely nothing. I turned to Julie and I said, Julie, is there something wrong with me or what? Of course, she always says, and I, I don't ask her that because I know there's a lot of things wrong with me. No, but I mean, you know, it was just a tough, tough time. And I was thinking, so what do you want me to share? You know, and I've got different series of things that I want to start, you know, when we get into the next few months and what have you. But as far as like doing this, another one-off today, you know, Julie will speak next week, the first Sunday. And then again, we'll have Andrew White with us a couple of weeks later. But anyhow, I was just struggling. And then as I was praying, the Lord just reminded me again about, you know, having Ray Hughes last week. I mean, I have to tell you, that guy is one of the most incredible men of God I've ever met in my life. And having the opportunity to just sit and talk with him and hear the depths of the wisdom this guy has over these, you know, some 45 years of ministry, just understanding the revelation of sound and everything and just the heart he has, the heart he has for revival. And, um, you know, I was thinking again about how he was so, he loves revival history. You know, he does an entire, he does courses on revival history. And just on the way back from Chosen, I mean, let me say again, thank God for what God did at Chosen. It was, again, just another incredible, incredible year. And I know uh, Bobby and other, Angela thanked everybody last week, but our thanks will continue to go forth for everybody's incredible help to bring that off. And, you know, it's just so worth it. I mean, what God has done every year is just mind-blowing, I'll tell you. But anyhow, you know, we stopped on the way back from, from uh, Chosen, on the way back from Norfolk, back into London, because uh, he wanted to see if we could find this memorial to Gypsy Smith, this, this incredible revivalist who, who uh, you know, lived was born a little a gypsy that was born there in uh, in Epping Forest. And long story short, he told the story about us and how this guy, just the depth of his uh, how Ira Sankey had this little gypsy boy was born out in the middle of the woods, on, literally out of a gypsy caravan, uh, a little wagon, and how as a little boy he somehow he was in that area when it was Ira Sankey and I'm trying to remember who was it Charles was it Finney that was with him or Deal Moody. It was Ira Sankey and Dale Moody when we're in this little carriage and how this little boy ran up to the carriage and just kind of was trying to say hi. And Ira Sankey just put out his hand and he said, young man, he said, you're blessed. You know, you are blessed to the Lord. Not knowing that this nine-year-old boy, you know, would become, wind up becoming, you know, Gypsy Smith, this incredible evangelist that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people come to the Lord through him in America and how then he came back once and anyhow he told Sankey I'm the boy you laid hands on with the old Moody back then oh, and anyhow just the incredible strength of these heroes of faith and basically so I just started to think about heroes and 
you know, what's it take to be a hero? What do heroes look like? And, of course, because of my background in schooling, teaching, whether as far as the Bible, I knew about Hebrews 11, and I do want to read from Hebrews 11 here, what we call the, the faith heroes, hall of fame. Some people call it, you know what I mean, the hall of fame of faith heroes. So let's just start there in Hebrews 11.1. 1, and then I'm just, I've got a little article to read. And, and honest to God, I actually think this time may be the actual first time in Rod Anderson's history that he actually does stop early, which is always yet to be believed. Please just smile at me, please. But anyhow, let me just, let me just start reading. I'm actually going to read from Hebrews 11, verse, verse 38 in the Amplified Bible. I'm going to read a bunch of verses here. So if you got that up, if you can get that up, I guess I'll see if they do it. Anyhow, Hebrews 11, 38 says, But the just shall live by faith. My righteous servant shall live by his conviction. Respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. And live by the holy fervor that's born of faith and conjoined with it. And if he draws back and shrinks in fear, it says, my soul will have no delight or pleasure in him. The last verse of Hebrews 10, I'm sorry, the last verse of Hebrews 10 then says, but our way is not that of those who draw back to eternal misery or perdition and are utterly destroyed. But we are of those who believe, who cleave to and trust in and rely on God through Jesus Christ the Messiah, and by faith preserve the soul. Amen? So Hebrews 11.1, 1, I just want to see if you're with us now. Apologies. We all know these verses, I know. Now faith is the assurance, is the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see. And the conviction of the reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now, I'm not technically teaching on faith, but you know, from day one when we first began to hear these messages, this is a, a verse, you know, that we've gone over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the body of Christ, well, thousands of times in the body of Christ. But I was stopped again yesterday, like I said, because I just was not feeling anything. Now, I know, you know, I have, to preach, I have to preach what I practice and practice what I preach. And I know that you don't have to feel God. But I know what it is to feel God, and I'm here to tell you to feel him is a lot better than not feeling him. Anyhow. And so yesterday I was in one of these times and I read this over and over again. Faith perceives as real what is not revealed to the senses. Faith perceives as a real fact what's not revealed to the senses. And I said, well, that sure defines me right now, God, because there ain't nothing being revealed to my senses as far as feeling anything. For by faith, verse 2 says, for by faith, trust and holy fervor, born of faith, the men of old had divine testimony born to them and obtained a good report. And verse 3 says, by faith we understand 
And let me tell you, you have to stop right there and accept that. The only way you'll ever understand many of the things of God is by faith. You make the choice to believe them. We make the choice to believe this is the word of God. It is not the word of a man, but it is the word of the living God. Right? I mean, that's a choice we have to make. Otherwise, it is a dead letter. But it's not a dead letter. It is a living truth that comes alive to us the more we just press in. And that's what I had to do yesterday again. I just had to really, really, really just press and press, like I said, and, you know, push past my flesh to get to the fact of what faith is. By faith, we understand that the worlds during the successive ages were framed, fashioned, and put in order and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible, right? Is that true? Or we accept it. And then he begins to list all these people who are the examples that Scripture gave us to believe, to understand as these heroes of how God saw them, of how it ministered, as it were, to heaven to see people have this thing about faith. Prompted, verse 4, actuated by faith, Abel brought God a better and a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, because of which it was testified of him that he was righteous, that he was upright and right standing with God, and God bore witness by accepting and acknowledging his gifts. And though he died yet through the incident, he is still speaking. In other words, that act from the very beginning, the first sons of Adam and Eve, the very first sons, that act of his of bringing a sacrifice that cost him more than just fruit or vegetables, it says that gift, that act, was a proof of his faith and that that still speaks today, that when men or women make a decision to honor God, to actually let God do something through them, to actually come to the place where they understand that in and of themselves we have no strength whatsoever to be of good use to anybody. But because of God dwelling in us, we do have, we do have the ability to be a blessing wherever we go. And he says this, this something, he said, Abel, the, the act, this thing that he did still speaks today. Verse 5, and he says, because of faith, Enoch was caught up and transferred to heaven so that he did not have a glimpse of death. And he was not found because God had translated him. For even before he was taken to heaven, he received testimony still on record that he pleased and been satisfactory to God. Now that's something probably most of us, if we, if we know the Bible a little bit at all, that would be the way we'd like to go, right? Where you have something, you're walking so close to God that you're out talking with God one day, walking by the riverside, and God says, hey, why don't you just come on home and have dinner with me? That'd be cool. He looked for him, and he was simply not. disappeared. And then verse 6 is this statement. But without faith, it is impossible. It's just flat impossible to please and be satisfactory to him, to God. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. Praise God. 
Verse 7, prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God concerning events of which as yet there was no visible, no visible sign, took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the, uh, for the deliverance of his own family. And by this, his faith, which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir and possessor of righteousness, that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. And now, you know, I've read these verses hundreds and hundreds of times. And I think that's why even like you said, watching little Eve and Kellen and whoever, whatever the little children, when they come up and just dance uninhibited, uh, it reminds you over and over again about what God really says when he says you need to be like a little child. Uh, you need to just accept, you need to see like they see. You know, if, if we say the moon is made of green cheese, we need to have the same wonder as a little child when they go, really, it's made of cheese? You know, but I mean, think about, you know, again, I know you've heard this, but God tells Noah, you know, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And of course, you remember that the earth in scripture, there's no record that rain had ever taken place, ever. And so God tells Noah it's going to rain, and you have to picture Noah going, okay, what's rain? That You know, the Bible says that before that time that the earth was watered from the ground up, from, from condensation and dew is where they came up. But just what it really means to be, to, to, to be spoken to by God to do something. And these are huge things here we're reading about, but I'm going to get... I want to talk to us just for a moment afterwards and just talk about just the simple things that we can do. But think about this. I mean, he built an ark in him. Uh, verse 8, urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or troubled his mind about where he was to go. I always love that verse because I've had that happen in my life many times. And we counsel people sometimes about this. That it, say, it says in the King James, Abraham went out not knowing where he went, but he went in faith. And what one of the things that we have to understand about God is sometimes he won't show you exactly where you're supposed to go, but he will tell you where you're not supposed to be. In other words, he'll say, leave here. And we want to say, but where are we going? Just leave. <laughs> Just leave. And that's something that you have to learn as well. So often, again, we still we want to have an understanding about everything that God says to us. And you have to learn to be faithful what he says to do today. Really, today, without worrying about what he's going to do tomorrow or what you're going to do tomorrow. That, to me, has always been one of the greatest, I don't know, realities that I've had to grasp in my own life. You know, Jesus said, take no anxious thought for the morrow. He meant that don't take any anxiety about tomorrow, the future at all, sufficient under the day. It's one of my favorite teachings about, because God stopped me all those years ago and he said, he said, you're trying to make faith into something that it isn't. And I'm trying to figure out what he mean. He said, you're trying to leap ahead five years. And he said, your faith isn't big enough. You can't see that far down. He said, and besides, I've never asked you to live for me more than one day at a time. And I, I hadn't really thought about that. And I said, what? And he said, I've never asked you to live for me 
more than one 24-hour period. And I had to go through this whole exercise to understand that yesterday was dead and gone. I can do nothing about it. And in reality, we have no guarantee that tomorrow will even come. And so today is the day that I can live for God. And I've, I've, I learned how to just make that decision. Because for Rod, for whatever reason, I, it was too hard for me to live for God in, in 2017, 2020, 2034, whatever it might be. And, I, you know, and it so, so delivered me when I saw this thing that there's no place in Scripture that God, he just says, live for me today. And then he gave me this little statement all those years ago, and I, it's a whole long teaching. I don't want to go through it all, but, you know, he said, uh, do you understand that when you obey me, it releases an anointing? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you really? He said, I want you to know this. Every obedience releases my anointings. And then he said, you know, what do anointings do? And I said, well, the scripture says anointings break yokes. They break things off that would contain or constrain you. Right. He said, and, but I, I've, Lord, I've heard all these people teaching about vision, how you have to have this vision out there, five-year plan, 10-year plan, 30,000-year plan, all this stuff. And I said, what do, you, what, do you, what do I do with all the teaching? He said, well, no, no. He said, it's good to have goals and what have you, but he said, you always have to start at the lowest common denominator of truth. And he said, really? He said, I've never asked you to live for me one, more than one day at a time. And I said, well, what about tomorrow then? What do I do about all my tomorrows? And he said, well, this is the problem. You don't understand. Obediences release my anointings. Is that right? And I said, yes, I believe that. And he said, well, this is what you've got to grasp. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because your obedience today, if you'll just focus on being obedient to me today, your obediences to me today will release the anointings that will break the yokes off of your tomorrows. And you don't have to worry about that. And see that, because it was too hard for me to live for God five years from now. It just was. But that struck me. I can live for God. You know, I knew that verse in Timothy. It says, exercise yourself toward godliness. That this is an exercise. I can exercise myself towards being more godly. And I knew that I could live for God for one hour. And I've told the story about a teen child where this old fella came in, Art Sorge. He he was like 66 years old, and he came to Teen Challenge. His son and daughter brought him. He was an alcoholic. And he brought him, and he had a little backpack. And he was, I was the introduction, induction officer at Teen Challenge at the time. And, uh, you know, you have to go through the bags and stuff to make sure because people. Anyhow, and he had a whole fifth of Jack Daniels whiskey and we took it out of his bag and we said art you know you can't have that here don't you <laughs> this is not what you come to teen challenge with you know you can't have a whole fifth of whiskey and he said yeah i kind of know and for some reason I, forgive me this will be repetition to some of you but he said uh all right i don't know rather i don't know why i was prompted to do this and i said you know if i i said if i set this if i set this bottle of jack daniels in front of you i said could you let me ask you a question. Could you, do, could you go all day without taking a drink of it? And he looked at it. He looked back at me and this other guy named Tom Humphreys. And he said, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. Not, let it. not go all day with that thing. And I said, well, could you go eight hours? And he said, no. Could you go six hours? And I don't know why, but I, 
four to it. And I finally said, Art, do you think you could go for one hour? Could you go for one hour without taking a drink of this? And he looked, and he's a really kind guy. He was a, he was a watchmaker. He studied whatever it's called, orology, in Switzerland. He's a really gifted old gentleman. He said, well, I suppose I could probably go, for, I could go one hour without taking a drink of it. And I just said it without even thinking. I said, well, then that's where you begin. I said, go, don't take a drink. Just live for God for that one hour, which you can do successfully. And at the end of that hour, live another hour. And I said, it just starts like that. After a while, you'll be living for God three hours before you mess up. Four hours, six hours, eight hours. And I said, the amazing thing is you, you never have to live for God more than 24 hours at a time. That, be, that, that became so strong in me that it helped me out of, I can't tell you how many things. Because again, I, you've heard me say over and over again, I came from a family of world champion warriors. We could worry. I mean, we could worry. Professional, Olympic, gold medalists, warriors, hallelujah. I always tell the joke, my sister, she could worry a doorknob off a door. You know, she's one of these people that said, you know, if I don't worry, who will? One of those, that kind of a thing. And I've had to fight it all my life. I still get, find myself getting frustrated, but this is why I have to keep going back to this thing. I, can li- I, I, I believe that possibly everybody in this room can go one hour without cursing. Possibly. Daniel, can you go one hour without swearing? No? Surely you can go an hour without cursing. Well, I have faith in you, anyhow. And Emmanuel, can you go an hour without cursing? Dom? Andrew? You're lucky I can't see everybody for the light. No, but I mean, you know, it, it sounds that corny, but you see, you have to start somewhere. Whatever it is. I mean, I don't know if I, if I had a really good homemade peach cobbler. In England, people know what a cobbler is. But if I had a really good, well, I don't know what to call it, good banana cream pie sitting in front of me. And you said, can you go eight hours without taking a bite of that? I would say, no, I can't. Flat out. I simply didn't, to be honest, I couldn't, you know. And the only dream I would have is that it would still be there tomorrow. But the point is, I don't care what the issue is. Faith is something that does grow because we exert pressure. And yet it says that we which believe enter into rest. And the rest part, the rest part comes from our trust in God. And you get to start where you are. Thank God. How many of you know you can't start from where you want to be? You start where you're at right now. Hell's job is to do what? Hell's job is to intimidate, to over and over and over again say you failed, you failed, you failed. You tried it before, it didn't work. You tried it before, you didn't stick at it. Whatever it is, his job is to indict, is to condemn, is to do all that. And he's persistent. He's 100% persistent. And this is why, again, the revelation of the love of God has to be manifest more powerfully known and understood than any other truth in the gospel. 
to know that he simply will not, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree ever forsake you, ever, ever, ever forsake you or leave you helpless or without support. Assuredly not. I simply won't. That's why faith in the love of God is the most important thing that you'll ever have faith in. Because, again, you listen, you condemn yourself as much as the devil does. And this is why the revelation of God's love and grace is so vital to us. Because after a while, once you actually fall in love with him and you see what the blood, when you actually see the difference between redemption by works and redemption by grace, you begin to understand when you understand grace and God's love that you have to ask God forgiveness for asking for forgiveness so often. And you'll get that later. But we exercise ourselves towards godliness. You can go an hour. You can live for God. I believe everybody in here could live for God for, for the rest of this day. You already could. And see, that's easier to do than living for God for the next 10 years. And again, but don't trust me. Go find, search for yourself. There's no place in Scripture where we're asked to live for God more than one day at a time. And I was reading after John Wesley, this uh, book that you guys gave me for Father's Day uh, from Bill Johnson about these heroes of faith. And I was reading the very first chapter about Charles, uh, John Wesley and how the, he says the very same thing. He talked about how he was brought up with all this works of the law, works of the law, works of the law until he finally got to this place where he talks about just what I said. He said, after all, he said, my Savior, I cannot go against my Savior who has commanded me, who has commanded me never to live for him any day but today. And, and you've got to catch that. There's a strength of that that needs to be at work in every single one of us. Well, <clears throat> you'll get it in 20 years. Down, okay, well, let me start at verse 8 again. Urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. Verse 9, prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land which is designated in the promise of God, though he was like a stranger in a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Fellow heirs with them of the same promise, verse 10, for he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to the city which, was, which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, we all like to smile at this one, because of faith also, Sarah herself received physical power. Because of faith, Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God who had given her the promise to be reliable, trustworthy, and true to his word. So from one man, Abraham, though he was physically as good as dead, there have sprung descendants whose number is as the stars of heaven and as countless as the innumerable sands on the seashore. Verse 13, these people all died controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great 
distance by faith. In other words, they saw this out in the future by faith, and it gave them the strength to live of what they were and what they had today. But not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith, and all the while they were acknowledging and confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon this earth. Now those people who talk as they did show plainly that they are in search of a fatherland, their own country. Verse 15 is a powerful verse to be used in many different teachings. If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. Amen? That's what I used to speak when I'd go into prisons years and years ago. And I'd talk to these guys about how they constantly talked about what they used to do in the old days, how much, how loaded they used to get, how cool it was to drop acid as many times as they did, how much heroin they were able to shoot, how much methadrine they were able to handle, blah, 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 how bad they were, how mean, how tough they were, how many dudes they beat up, whatever. And this verse, you know, it's, I had to get it across to him. This is something we were taught in Teen Challenge over and over again. You've got to quit talking about the past. If you keep talking, this scripture says, if you keep talking about the past, you create constant opportunity to go back to it. That's heavy. So you've got to quit talking about yesterday where you felt it was a failure. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. Yesterday really is dead and gone. You must not allow any evil thing of yesterday that you may feel yourself a failure at to color your tomorrows or your ability to follow God today. You just have to. This is a deep, deep spiritual principle that's right there. If they'd been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. Verse 16, but the truth is, that they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and a more desirable country. That is a heavenly one. For that reason, now this is heavy too. For that reason, what reason? The truth is they were yearning for, they had their eyes on the prize, as it says. But the truth is that they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and a more desirable country. That is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to link his own name with your name. That's heavy. When God sees faith, he's willing and able to connect his name with yours and say, this is my son. This is my daughter. I'm the God of Deji. And I'm proud to say that I'm the God of Deji. I'm the God of Debbie. I'm the God of Sheila totally unashamed to link his name with our name. That, that's heavy stuff, man. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was put to the test, while the testing of his faith was still in progress, had already brought Isaac for an offering. He who had gladly received and welcomed God's promises was ready to sacrifice his only son, 
of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your shall Isaac shall your descendants be reckoned. And this is incredible, verse 19. For he reasoned, and in other words, Abraham was so much in faith that he reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Indeed, that's in that sense, Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed. He did actually receive him back from the dead. In other words, God's saying here that Abraham so trusted God that not only was he ready and willing to put a knife to Isaac, but he already saw Isaac raised from the dead because he knew the promise was dependent upon Isaac and the genealogy coming from him. That's incredible. Verse 20, with eyes of faith, Isaac looking far into the future invoked blessings upon Jacob and Esau. Prompted by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, bowed in prayer over the top of his staff. Actuated by faith, Joseph, when nearing the end of his life, referred to the promise of God for the departure of the Israelites out of Egypt and gave instruction concerning the burial of his own bones. Prompted by faith, Moses, I'm going fast because I'm coming to a close. Prompted by faith, Moses, after his birth, was kept concealed for three months by his parents because they saw how comely the child was, and they were not overawed and terrified by the king. And aroused by faith, Moses, when he had grown to maturity and became great, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter because he preferred to share the oppression and suffer the hardships and bear the shame of the people of God rather than have the fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. He considered the contempt and abuse and shame born for the Christ the Messiah who was to come to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward and he looked away to the reward. Amen. You know, every one of those verses, we could go through every, every single Bible story. Now, I've got this little article here I'm going to read. I've got it on the overhead, so you can read it with me. I don't even remember the guy's name. I can't give him credit. I was looking at something, and I had this in some of my old notes. Heroes. You got that back there? Okay. You can put the first slide up. Heroes. Since the beginning of time... Many of our heroes were warriors who overpowered those who would try to harm or take from us the things that we cherished. A strong defender of us as a society or a culture gets hero status. Our great military soldiers who sacrificed everything to defend our borders or cultures or our freedoms are indeed heroes to us. He or she places their very lives on the line in order that our way of life is protected from the influences or the domination of others who wish to bring evil to us. Our armed forces are a classification of joint heroes. We automatically bestow heroic honors to those who fight for us. However, very often a single person will emerge from the joint heroes to be elevated to hero. He or she has demonstrated such courage and honor that they grab the attention of a grateful society. We call them hero and we're compelled to connect with them. Many times this hero does not understand why they are being exalted merely for doing what they believed and thought was correct and right. They did not think at the moments of during or during the episode, if I do this, I'll be loved and adored forever. They simply did what was in them, right? They placed other people's well-being before and above their own. Thank God above for this hero because our freedoms are dependent upon these few. We've seen, many, we've seen many heroes emerge over the past century. Those people show us that there are indeed choices involved in the process of living a respectable life. 
Recently, we watched a pilot, Sully Sullenberger, land a U.S. Airways flight. I guess you remember this. Land a U.S. Airways flight in the Hudson River in New York City that was disabled after hitting a flock of Canadian geese. He was called a national hero after all 155 of the passengers and crew survived. What choices did he make at that moment that resulted in such a joyful end to what could have been a disaster? He decided and made the personal choice to place every single person's life on that plane at the highest regard. He elected to also protect the tens of thousands of lives that may have perished if the flight had crashed into midtown Manhattan. He did what indeed needed to be done when it needed to be done without even an inch of doubt. I am sure Sully did not think about the press conference later that afternoon. Still, yet another type of hero has emerged. The passengers on Flight 13 in Pennsylvania on 9-11 decided to take action in the face of an, of an inevitable lending and take over the terrorists who were evil bent upon death and destruction. Where did these men and women gather their strength to do this remarkably brain thing? I would suggest that they gathered unity courage. I would suggest that they gathered unity courage. They looked into each other's eyes and connected with each other, and they saw in themselves an uncommon valor through a banded bravery. And in the end, we saw them as modern-day heroes. I'm sure you remember some of the phone calls that men made to their wives and what have you, because they know they were about to die, but they took this anyhow. Still yet, whoops, what have we learned so far? There are different types of heroes. Heroes that by example show us that anything is possible. Heroes that by their decisions demonstrate a courage that is not common in the average populace. And we see a hero that finds strength to overcome adversity and thrive. We've seen heroes that connect and unify when their unification is needed to stop or to mitigate the amount of death and destruction that is blatantly obvious to occur. I've witnessed in recent months a little girl named Angelina who has and still to this very minute demonstrates such courage and heroic strength when she fights a vicious cancer. She's only 10 years old and her will to push through and to be an example of strength and the right stuff is personally connected with me. As I fight my battle to live, I connect with her. So being a hero is about connecting with people. It's about being connected with and connecting with others, most of whom we never meet. It is about placing the safety, the health, the welfare, and protection of others first and foremost in your decision. Or better yet, a hero is one that does not make the decision, but rather just acts in protection of people. Heroes come in many ages, shapes, and sizes. Many of our heroes are everyday folks like you and me. It's the mother who chooses to stand up and protect her children with courage and inner strength when all the cards are stacked against her. She works around the clock to provide for their health, their growth, and protection. When her pain is so agonizing that she can't walk another step, she gathers yet more strength in order that the children are well. There's the hero child who stands up for a disabled child in a playground and does not permit the challenged one, we one, to be hurt. There's a school bus driver who protects their children passengers against any invader. There's the father who faces an invader into a home and places his life before all. There's a parent, now listen to this part, because we have a couple in our own church that fit this bill. I'm not trying to embarrass Deji and Tina, but it is a form of heroism. You need to see that. 
there is a parent who adopts a child who's been abused and patiently holds their hands as they navigate childhood. You know what I mean? From whatever they've gone through, just patient walks with them. There is the mother or father of a veteran who's taken his or, own, his or her own life who finds a strength to help other parents who face similar tragedies. Each of these heroes and many more gather garner from within themselves the unimaginable fortitude to change the lives of others with absolute sacrifice and unmitigated determination. Amen. And all I'm saying by that, and all I'm trying to say or read into that, what, you know, every single one of you, I, 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 I was, like I said, all I was getting at is this, reading through all the faith heroes, thinking about all these incredible men who have gone, John Wesley and, you know, Gypsy Smith and um, all the people that we look at today and we go, my God, the effect they had on planet Earth. And it just struck home to me how every single one of us, every single day, if we think about it, we do things or we're able to do things that can literally change the entire future of someone's life. We may be the person that just speaks that phrase, that good word, where we come up to somebody when all hell has been breaking loose and everybody's been telling them how they can't, and you happen to put your hand on their shoulder and say, it's so incredible what God's doing with you and what he's about to do in your life, and just speaks that word of edification and strength. And um, so that's all. I just want us to think, who can we be a hero to and for? And again, you don't try to be a hero. You just are. I have heroes in my life. Ed Cole was one of my heroes because he came into my life at a perfect timing, you know, sent by God. I've got other men that are my heroes. They spoke words to me that have changed me forever. And if you're honest, if you look back at your own life, there are those crossroads where something spoke to you. Someone spoke into your life. Someone had faith in you. Someone trusted you. Somebody let you make mistakes knowing that it's okay because you're going to learn. But I'm just saying, so let's just pray today. Let's just ask ourselves uh, to be more sensitive to the opportunities that might even face you before this day is out. You know, every one of you have a hero on the inside of you. Amen? You do. So just uh, have a think about it, okay? That's all. Like I said, it's a short one for Rod. It's actually really short for Rod. So everybody smile and say, praise God. Stand up with me for a minute. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you begin to really guide us. You show us what it means to walk by faith. This familiar truth, Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith perceives as real what is not yet revealed to the senses. Faith perceive something that's absolutely to them real, even though it's not revealed to the senses yet. It's that knowing that you've said yes when everybody else said no. We give you thanks today, Father, that every time you see faith in us, real faith, that we bless you. 
that you're blessed by the faith that you see at work within us. Lord, I just pray that you keep us sensitized today and throughout the week, through every week of our life, to know that today might be my day to be a hero to somebody. Uh, and it's not that I'm looking for it. It's just that how important is it to look, to be aware of our surroundings, to be aware of people who are around about us who might just need that word of encouragement, who might need somebody to say, you can do this. It's what happened with John Wesley. It's what happened with Gypsy Smith. Just a moment in time, somebody stretches out their hand, touches them on the head and says, you're going to be a blessing. And rather than live a life of nothing, become a man through whom hundreds of thousands of people get saved. Uh, We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. We give you thanks for your goodness. We give you thanks for what you want to do in each of our lives. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 